Today we're wrapping up our sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get into it. Lord God, speak to us, I pray, uh, through this wonderful text. Uh, Help me to be clear. Help uh, all of us to listen well to you and, and speak to us now, we pray, through these words of Scripture and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. So, um, it's our last in the series, and what I'm going to do is, as this book itself does in chapter 12, it wraps up and concludes the whole book. So I'm going to summarize the book and, uh, and show you what it all means and do all of that in about 20 minutes. And you might say, yes, Mark, this will confirm for me what a friend of mine once said, that I've always found Ecclesiastes to be a one-sermon book. But uh, it's not really. It's, a, it's an amazing text that we're now going to summarize. And uh, here's, here's the summary. Uh, here's the summary, right? So we start off, we start off here. And uh, here's the main character. Oh, it's not working. Why is it not working? Hang on. There we go. Ha! Whew! You were missing all of that. (laughs) How could you possibly have survived spiritually without that? Actually, it's... uh, I've got to make him a little bigger. Hang on a moment. Okay, so, um, so here you go. And uh, here you have this fellow, and he's the central character in the book of Ecclesiastes. And what's his name? Kohelet, or the teacher. So Kohelet. And Kohelet's a teacher, and he's a a person uh, of of faith. And uh, what Kohelet does as a person of faith, though, is he's facing these challenges from uh, Greek philosophy that has emerged into his world, and, uh, and so he sets out to explore the world on the basis of this emerging understanding of reality. And so uh, how he understands the world is on the basis of uh, reason and experience and tradition. And he does all of this from a position of autonomy. So, uh, the journey of the book of Ecclesiastes, Kohelet starts and he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to explore life. And his basis, the means, the tools that he's going to use to explore life are reason, experience, and tradition. Uh, and all of these applied autonomously, that it's, it's him as an individual thinker. Now, one of the reasons Ecclesiastes is such an incredible book is that's so relevant for today. I mean, that's how we are taught to explore life, aren't we? We use our minds. We use the scientific method. We think. uh, but, But we are effectively the knowing subjects. We're the ones who go out and make sense of the world. And so Kohelet's journey of discovering life using these tools is so incredibly instructive for us. So he goes out into the world. And what does he use his reason, experience, and tradition to discover? Well, he immerses himself in thinking about things like, what, money, uh, pleasure, hedonism. He explores uh, power. He accumulates power, and uh, he explores work. 
He explores love and sex. Uh, he explores life in all its fullness, in all its different domains. And that's really the whole of the book of Ecclesiastes, is, uh, or, or the big middle section, is Kohelet using these tools, going immersively into the world to think about all of these things. What about money? What about pleasure? What about power? What about work? What about love? What about sex? What about life? How do I make sense of these things? Can I make sense of these things uh, as I go into life? And as he does that, what is his conclusion about life? What does he discover? Life is what? Enigmatic. It's not meaningless. That's a, I've, spent, I've spent three months trying to say it's not meaningless. and No, it's... <laughs> I'm such a failure. I need to talk to my therapist about that. Okay, no... Um, uh, life is enigmatic. It's an enigma. And why I said it's important to think about this rather than meaningless is meaningless implies that it's hopeless and it's pointless and it's full of despair. And that's not the fundamental message. The message is rather in this journey, as he immerses himself in this and tries to understand life in these terms, he discovers uh, that, that it doesn't... It can't make sense, finally and fully. It's a bit like uh, when I was in high school and trying to learn quadratic equations. Now, I don't know if you ever had this experience, uh, but I remember as a, as a young kid trying to learn these things in maths, and I'd go, I think I've understood it. I think I've got it. And then, ah, oh, no, I haven't really got it. I, I think, I think, uh, 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 and then I try and do the work because I, I, I don't get it. And so he's saying uh, that life understood on the base of reason, experience, tradition, applied autonomously, has this nature about it that it's like grasping after mist. You go, I'll, I'll make my life work with money, and I'll get lots of money, and I think that I've understood it, and then, oh, it doesn't work. And the same with justice, and the same with power, the same with sex, the same uh, with uh, love and life itself. You see, uh, what's the thing <laughs> that renders life so enigmatic in Ecclesiastes? Well, it's our mortality. This is one of the major problems, that we die. So, well, what's the, if, you, if you just try and make sense of life by accumulating possessions, well, what's the point of that? Because you get all these possessions, and then you get to the point where you can't enjoy them, and then you die, and you leave them to some other turkey. So you go, well, I'm going to build a great business. So you build a great business. And you know, oh, this is fantastic. And then you get old and you die and you leave them to some other turkey. And then you go, well, that's okay. I'll pursue love. And then you pursue love and it's wonderful. And you find your soulmate and then they die. And then you die. And well, so what was all that about? And then uh, what about justice? Well, you pursue great justice in the world. But, but here's the thing. You get away with lots of evil, and then you die. And you don't ever get punished in this life, and so what's the point? So, so our mortality, the inevitability of our death, casts this shadow over all of Kohelet's experience of life and all of our experience of life that says it, it, it doesn't ultimately work to deliver what we long for. It's enigmatic. It's a mist. You grab it, and it's gone. So how do you live then? What do you, what's the point of it all? What's the point? Yeah, it's, it's hard, right? And, and note this, and, and some of you felt this, right? Um, 
this journey, this, this sort of move here is full of pain and despair, isn't it? It's, this, is a, this is not an easy journey, is it? <laughs> uh, and, and it's interesting, um, this, talking down at the 9 o'clock service, we had a great time down there, and a couple of us were talking over morning tea, and, and, and someone said, ah, oh, I didn't realize that this is really an old man's book. Because <laughs> when you've lived a life, and you've had your nose rubbed in some of the brokenness, and you've gone through the journey of pain and despair, then suddenly you start to see the truth of uh, Ecclesiastes' diagnosis of the world and description of this journey of life. And you discover, yeah, in and of itself, it, it, it is enigmatic. It doesn't make sense. So, where do you end up? Well, Verse 13, now all has been heard. We've been through this whole journey. We've explored life. Everything's been heard. And here is the conclusion of the matter. What do we, how do we live life well? What's it all about? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. That's it. You've gone around. You've explored you've studied, you've thought, you've discovered it all to be enigmatic. He says, well, once you've joined, once you've seen that, what have you got to do? Well, you've got to fear God, fear, or no, that's the other word, know God, and obey God. And actually, You end up back where you began, but only in a different place and as a different person. So how do you end up where you began? Well, there's been a switch, and we'll unpack this a little. And the fundamental switch is this. Now, here's Coalette, and he's not all smiles. He's kind of, you know, experienced life a bit. And here's God. What's happened as a result of this journey? Well, the green line represents a fundamental divide in life. Above the line is the creator, and below the line is the creature. And the starting point for Kohelet's journey, based on autonomous reason, was to say, I'm going to put myself above the line as the creator as the one who can know and make sense of the world and understand it all. And, and God is below the line as the, as the creature. God coalets the creator, autonomous, making sense of life. God's the creature. God's one of many other beings in the world to help coalet on his journey, right? At the end of his journey, what's happened? Well, he says, no, now what the, 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 our life is about knowing and fearing God and obeying God, and that's the path to fulfillment and to making sense of life, which means now, who's above the line? Who's the creator? God. And who's below the line? Kohelet, you, me, us. 
Does that make sense? That's it. Now, uh, that journey, you would think that's such a simple, easy little switch to make, wouldn't you? Understand that God is the creator and I'm the creature. It's really not. Coalette and psychologists and uh, theologians and writers of old tell us this is a life's journey. That uh, St. John of the Cross talks about this and says, you know what? The only way to get to this place where we, we have, we've, we've grappled with life as we think it works, we've explored it with ourselves as God, as creator, and God as just one resource amongst many, what happens is we go through uh, a dark night of the soul. where all our assumptions about God and reality get pulled apart. All the things that we thought were so obvious and clear get pulled apart. And they have to get put together on the other side with ourselves demoted from the position of God. And we find that life is given to us only as we fear God, put Him in His right place, and obey Him. Jung uh, one of the most influential psychologists of the 20th century, Carl, uh, Carl Jung, has a similar understanding of life. And you can read all of Coalette as a Jungian journey. And, and here's how Jung understands life. And this really, in one sense, is why Ecclesiastes is an old person's book. Uh, because Jung says how we start off in life is you, you have the self and you have the ego. And as we're young... We have uh, our ego gets uh, separated or dissociated from the self and gets inflated. So an inflated ego is where we all end up in our 20s and our 30s. An inflated ego says, uh, I'm going to go into the world and I'm going I'm to make money. I'm going to have pleasure. I'm going to make life work. I'm going to accumulate power. I'm going to find status. I'm going to find love. Right? Sounds a lot like Kohelet. I mean, this is Jung, right? He says, so we go into these things, and, and what happens is uh, our ego gets inflated as we go into the world and as we succeed, but actually it's dissociated from ourselves, from our, the true authentic essence of who and what we are, because in our early years, we think that's really what life is about. And what happens to our inflated self, if we're actually going to grow and become integrated, is that inflated self has, has, to, get, has to get punctured. We realize that we have to face our dark side. We have to face all the things in life that don't work. All the enigma and the pain and the brokenness out there and the enigma and the pain and the brokenness in here. And we realize we're not gods. We realize all these things we assumed about our lives that would all work out, they don't. And the path to wholeness and maturity for Jung was to, to bring the ego and the self back into a place of integration. And the only way to do that is a journey that looks, gosh, remarkably like that of the journey of Ecclesiastes. This is Kohled in the days of your youth. Go and pursue these things. But then I come to the place where you understand, actually, nothing will really deliver. The inflated ego dissociated from who you really are is no way to live. It actually brings neuroses and anxiety and death. Because life doesn't work like that. 
So how do you resolve the two? So the point of Jungian therapy is to help you face your dark, your shadow, and, 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 and be an integrated self. Allow the, self, the ego to be dispelled and integrated into uh, the dark and the shadow and the light and the goodness of you into one whole self. The Christian journey is not dissimilar. I mean, Jung's onto something, right? William James, uh, the American philosopher, put it this way. He said that all of us uh, need to be twice born. Okay, so the first birth is, is, is where Kohelet starts. The first birth spiritually is when we come to, we come to embrace God. But in this place of being firstborn, you embrace God really still as a resource to help you make your life work. So I, I embrace God, and now I'm a Christian. Now I'm converted. It's exciting, and I go out, and I'm still driven to think that if, if now God's on my side, I can make life work with my money, my status, my career, my life, and I'm still calling the shots fundamentally. And William James said... We need to, that firstborn self needs to die, and we need to be twice born. And a twice born Christian person is a person who has let die the assumption that I can make life work with myself above the line and God below the line. The, the, the once born person says, if I follow God, then justice will work, and love will work, and life will work. And a twice born person says, you know what? Uh, life is full of futility, full of suffering, full of the absence of God, full of pain and brokenness, as well as being full of glory and beauty and wonder. And the only way to really flourish in this world is to let God be God and take up a stance of humility with yourself as the creature, saying the flourishing of my humanity, the fullness of who I am and what I meant to be doesn't come as I pursue money, status, career, all those things with God as a resource. The flourishing of my humanity comes as I pursue God. I fear Him. I obey Him. Connect with Him. Lovingly united with Him. And then all the other stuff falls into place. Sort of. Sometimes it'll be good, and sometimes it'll be terrible. But God is with you. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, that he can say at the end of his life, Christ is my life. That's putting God above the line and ourselves below the line. Christ is my life, not my success, not my family, not my wealth. It's God who is my life. And the only way to get there, the only way to get there, according to Ecclesiastes, is as we go out into the world and we walk this path and we go through the dark night of the soul and we let all those naive assumptions that might have governed our lives die and we come out to the other side to a place where we say, yes, God is God and I am me. And then there's the path to joy. That's the path to meaning. That's the path to fulfillment and blessing. So it's interesting, isn't it? In verse 1 uh, of chapter 12, as he begins to wrap this up, what does he say? 
remember your creator in the days of your youth. But this is the refrain. He says it in verse 6, remember, remember, remember. So right here in the middle of this, you know, what are we to do? Well, we're to remember, you know. Because uh, here's the thing about this journey. Do you think it's just a, a journey that you do once and then you've arrived perfectly? All those who think this is just a journey that you do once, you, have, you start off all keen, keen being Christian or a keen being person, you go through life, you hit a bit of a hiccup and suffering, and then you learn everything there is to learn, you become spiritually mature, well integrated, God is always God, you're always a person, your life is full of meaning and purpose, and you never struggle again. If you think that's a one-off journey, raise your hand. If it's a, Yeah, okay. It's not, is it? What's it like? Well, there is, this is the grand shape but actually, we go through this cycle sometimes daily, don't we? <laughs> there we go. I, I thought I was, I was running my life. I was in control. And oh, now I've just realized I'm not. And that's why in the Scriptures, there's this key command right the way through to remember God. Remember who God is. Remember who you are. Because we forget so easily. <laughs> I forget that God is God. And I'm not God. And then I start living as though I'm God. And then I fall into all kinds of difficulties and I've got to repent and come back to God. Now that's why ritual is so important in the life of faith. In the why do you think when you read the, old, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, it's full of all these rituals and commandments? Like daily you tie phylacteries on. Daily you're to bind the law on your forehead and, in, and put it in your heart. You literally, if you're, if you're an Orthodox Jew today and you, you see this all around the streets of Jerusalem, you'll see people tying a tephilim, putting on the, the commandments on their wrists with leather straps to take the law from your wrist up through your arteries to your heart and then tying the law in a little box on your head to remind you. You've got to obey God. You've got to live for God. Now, we don't do that. We, we, you know, we just, we don't do that. Now, it's not some, I'm not suggesting we should start. Though, of course, that could be quite interesting to become a fully Torah-observant Anglican church. I jest. Um, but, but we've got to work out rituals and practices that the Christian church has done over the years to remember. You know, so wake up tomorrow morning, if you do wake up, um, and, and remember who you are. Why do you pray in the mornings before you go to work? Well, so that when you go to work, you remember that God's the God of your workplace, and you're there to serve Him in that. You're not in control. That you know, that promotion that you think is yours, well, it might not come through. That client who you think you might sign up for that deal, well, they, they, might, not, they might not deliver. That job that you're holding on to, you might get sacked from. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows what tomorrow will hold when you go to work? 
But you know what? Remind yourself that when you go to work, God is God and you're not, and you're not in control of the outcomes. You just do your best. You trust God. You obey His commandments. And in the doing of that, we will find the fullness of life. When you think about your parenting, right? Those of us who've got kids. Um, oh my goodness, how important is it to remember that God is the God of your parent, of your kids. You're not, you're actually not their creator. You know, that's a great relief because you can't control them. You're not, they're, they're little beings who are going to grow and flourish and leave you. <laughs> and they'll do their own thing. And God has them in the, his hands in a way that you can't possibly. And, and when we forget in our parenting, we become uh, either massively controlling because we want to be like God to control where they end up, or become massively anxious because what if, I mean, because gosh, it's a terrifying world out there. So, so if, if I put myself above the line with my kids, I'm going to be overcome with anxiety because how am I going to protect them? How am I going to make sure that they get into the right job? How am I going to, how am I going to, you know, it's just too much. Or I'm going to get so puffed up with pride because I think I'm going, oh, my kids are doing really well. Haven't you? I mean, I've, I've had these conversations with parents, other parents. You go, man, they, these kids, this is a little... This is a little Rhodes Scholar in the making who's also going to be an Olympic athlete and a virtuoso, and they're, they're only three, you know? But they were an early walker, so that's good. So now we can see the trajectory of how wonderful and extraordinary and amazing they're going to be. And if perchance your kid happens to be just slightly above the mean on any of these indicators, you're, oh, well, I'm, it's all about me, you know? And so, oh, yeah, but just wait. You'll be full of despair. Give it a couple of months, you know? So I have parenting to say, no, I'll trust God, I'll obey His commandments, and then God is the God of my kids. Our work, our kids, our love, our church, our lives themselves, our aging parents. Oh my goodness, how do you trust God for your aging parents? Through that journey, you're not God. You can't protect them, you can't run from them. It's tough. Oh, God, your own decline, my own decline. I was talking last night at a party we were at with a barrister who was commenting on how uh, he just realized that he just couldn't work as hard as he used to when he was a junior. It doesn't work that way anymore. Uh, he also, you know, commented that it's just you get smarter but you realize, you know, at around 50, there's an inevitable decline. <laughs> so I was saying, yeah, your testosterone levels decline. So I think we start mainlining testosterone as blokes to try and keep up, but you just can't. It's an inevitable decline. So how do you manage that? Well, you, you, you trust God. <laughs> and you know that with God, as you do that, that's your life. Not your energy and your youth and your vitality and your success. That's your life. Isn't that so, 
Remember God. Remember God. Remember God in the days of your youth. Remember God in the days of your middle age. Remember God in the days of your old age. Remember God when things are amazing and wonderful and brilliant and everything's working. And remember God when all the wheels of your life fall off. Remember God when it's easy to remember God. And remember God when it's excruciatingly hard and painful to remember God. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we uh, thank you for this wonderful, amazing book of Ecclesiastes with its insight and challenge and analysis of our world and our life. And I want to beg you for myself and for our church family, for everyone in this room, that we will remember you, that you are God. You are above the line and we're not. That you'll help us with all the, the, the wonders and the glory of life, but also all the hardship and the pain and the suffering of life in all these things to fear you and to obey you, to trust you with everything, Lord. We ask this in your name.